You may call me Moses. But before I share my story with you, if you are able physically, I would ask that you would kneel with me as we approach the Lord in prayer. Father, today, I just want to say thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for that great gift of love that you have given each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that you are willing to pour out heaven, the very treasures of heaven, to redeem us. And I pray that you would grow us, Lord, spiritually. May we grow in trust and in honor and courage knowing you. And may we each be more like you every day. And today, as we consider your word, I pray, Lord, that you'll reach deep inside of each and every one of us and find your place there on the throne of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you today with a tale about growing trust. Not the trust that you want to receive in someone else, but rather the trust that you want to grasp a hold of in your own heart to give. A trust, a, a courage to trust and to give of yourself. A trust that is deep within your heart that you could give to God. A trust that might even now replace an inability in your heart to trust. I want to help you to see that if you will place your trust in God, if you will place your full trust in God, you will not be ashamed. In the beginning, for me, trusting God was not an easy thing to do. I was raised in the house of Pharaoh. I sought the love and acceptance of a man who I discovered was not my father. I wanted to trust Pharaoh, but through numerous journeys amongst the Hebrew slaves, when I would go out into their, their homes and their houses, I would hear stories, stories about me and the things that occurred. I discovered that as a child, my life, my very life, was threatened by a decree from Pharaoh. You see, the man in whose house I lived was the man who wanted to kill me. And many children just like me. Trusting this royal adopted father was something I was struggling to do. And as I would learn more of my study from the Hebrew slave, or excuse me, more of my story from the Hebrew slaves, I discovered the man that was my biological father did not choose to reveal himself to me. Why? It may have been fear of reprisal, or it could have been that he simply didn't care. I don't know. I cannot name him 
for I did not grow up knowing him as my father. All I am sure of is he was of the tribe of Levi and my mother was of the tribe of Levi as well. My biological father abandoned me to the fate of a river and my adopted father wanted to kill me. Leaving me with this single question in my heart that for all of my learning I could not answer. The question was simply, who can I trust? Where can I place my heart? Where can my heart rest in trust so that I might feel secure in love and not be afraid? Who can be trusted? As you might have heard, there's plenty of my own story in the past that is not very wor uh, noteworthy to speak of, especially the days before I met God. I'm not a proud person in what I did, but I think it illustrates pretty well the sort of untrusting person that I was. I murdered a man. I murdered him with my own hands. The thing about this man that I think about and I recall is the fear, the very fear that was in his face. I think I know how that man was feeling. I think I know how that man was feeling while my very hands was upon him, killing him. I could still see that Egyptian's face in my mind's eye. The life and the color were going from his skin. I buried him in sand. Shortly after that rage subsided within me, a sense of conviction and judgment came over me. The recognition that Pharaoh would now have legal means and the right to kill me. And I knew shame amongst the Hebrews as well. Due to my unbridled wrath, I was labeled a murderer. So I did the only thing that made sense to me. I ran. I ran, I ran as fast and as far away as I could possibly go. I ran. I kept on running. I was a man who did not trust. I was a man who could not be trusted. I was a miserable man. And I flew from Egypt for all that I was worth. I did not know where I was going. I did not know to whom I was going. After all, who could I trust? In the end, I guess, really, could I even dare to trust myself? Well, after many days of running, I stopped. And the main reason I stopped running is I met a girl. 
I met a girl. I understand many a man has been stopped in his tracks by the beauty of a woman. <laughs> and I would prove to be easily bested by the loveliness of a lady myself. My heart ached for her. I was captivated by a shepherdess named Zipporah. <laughs> she was quite the looker. Very easy on the eyes, if you know what I mean. Did you guys know that Zipporah means little bird? <laughs> How curious that in my flight of escaping Egypt, my attention was corralled, my heart was captured, and my time on the lamb was arrested by this little bird, Zipporah. Now, our romance is a story I would share for another time, but it was through this little bird I would meet Jethro, the priest of Midian. And Jethro would tell me of a God who longs to call himself our Father. He would tell me of a God who would long to call himself my Father. Jethro would help me to progress from growing from a guy who can't trust in God to a guy who can trust in God. See, I would grow from seeing God as just a mere fire on a mountainside to finally knowing God as truly my heavenly Father. A God who longs to gather us all as his children. A God who wants to lavish upon us the ultimate of his love. A love that only the truest of fathers would be willing to give. But I had a problem. Yeah, I had a problem. How could I trust a father that I could not see? When the fathers that I could see, one had chosen to abandon me to the fate of a river and the other would gladly kill me. How could I trust this father? Well, I'd like to be able to tell you that when I first met God, I trusted him fully. When I met him at the burning bush, I wish I could have said, say to you today that I immediately trusted God, but the truth is I didn't. I didn't trust him. When I met God, what trust was in me is probably the same sort of trust that an ant has with a boot heel. I suspected that God's only purpose for me was to use me and then kill me. After all, that is what the false gods of Egypt were all about. Those are the gods I heard about from my time with Pharaoh. And it would take me several months from that fire before I would know the only true God as my father. It wasn't until well after Pharaoh let go of the Hebrew slaves that I realized our Heavenly Father could be trusted. So let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened that took me from knowing or seeing a God that existed in a fire to knowing the God who is our Father, who is my Father. See, we had been set free from Egypt. Pharaoh had released Israel from its captivity. And as we traveled the desert, God made his presence known to us. And he did it two ways. 
He manifested himself as a cloud by day, and he showed himself as a pillar of fire at night. And this was majestic. It was powerful. It was awesome to behold. At first, you might suspect that the wondrous awe of the power of God is what compelled me to trust in him. But it wasn't. It wasn't the great power of God that caught my attention. <laughs> the greatest demonstration of the awesomeness of God and what showed him to me showed him to me to be a demonstration of him as a father was with a still small voice he said to me I am with you he whispered that to me do you know what I believed him. I believed him. Not because of this great display of his awesome might, but because within that display, I, I saw what appeared to me to be the care of a father. For the first time, I caught a glimpse of what a father's love might look like. I saw that this God who wanted to be my father was so concerned for me and those with me that he shaded us with himself from the heat of the desert sun. He was so concerned for me and those with me that he was a pillar of fire at night if for no other reason than to give us light in the darkness so that I and those with me would not stub our toes on a stone or a thorn. And then the Red Sea. <laughs> oh, that Red Sea. There we were. Pharaoh's army was behind us and the Red Sea was before us. When fear threatened to grip my heart and despair sought to raise his ugly head, there it was again, gently, quietly, lovingly, the voice of a father. I am with you, he said. And we crossed that sea. We crossed it. Not with boats. We didn't walk on water. We certainly didn't swim. God parted the water for us. And that was pretty spectacular, but in that, in and of itself, it cannot compare to the reality of the fact that when we crossed the Red Sea, our feet didn't even get wet. Our feet didn't even get muddy. Not only that, our feet was not even sore. You see, this God who wants us, who wants me to be with him, who wants to be a father to us, demonstrated his love is a gentle love, the love of a father. The kind of love a father, a true father, gives to his child. When God said he was with us, he was and we all began to learn that God could be trusted especially me 
Now, you may not know this about me, but I like to eat. I do. I like to eat. There was a great amount of food, a great variety of food in Pharaoh's castle, in Pharaoh's court. I ate all the luxurious foods of Egypt. The Hebrew slaves, however, ate whatever they had available to them. But after we were set free from Egypt, a few days in the wilderness, as you can imagine, we started to run out of food, and eventually we did, in fact, run out. <laughs> My boy, could the children of Israel whine. Boy, could they complain. Moaning and groaning about their hunger. You know, I once saw a pitiful beast of a cow while it was being attacked by a swarm of wasps. That cow, she moaned and she complained, she bleated and belly ached, but not nearly so much as the children of Israel did over their hunger. I was thinking long and hard, how was I going to feed all of these people? And I again felt the beginnings of desperation pulling at my heart. What was I going to do? How was this going to take place? Who's going to feed these people? And then again, I hear a still, small voice whisper to me. It's the voice of God. And he said, I am with you. God told me that he would provide meat for the evening and bread for the morning. And sure enough, like a good father that gives good gifts to his children, God did not promise us bread and give us a stone. God did not promise us fish and give us a serpent to eat. God promised us meat and he promised us bread and God delivered and he made good on all of his promises. I learned that this God is with us and like a father, he provides what we need. So I tried really hard. I'm telling you, I tried really hard to give him all of my trust. I tried to learn, really, I tried to learn to trust him. So from the time I met God at the fire on top of Mount Horeb to the time we were attacked by the Amalekites, I was still struggling to trust God. I was still struggling to see God as my father. But this really all started to change when the Amalekites attacked. From being trained as an Egyptian prince, I understood and knew about basic military strategy. Okay? I knew the proper usage of the horse. I understood the devastating application of the chariot. I could tell anyone the proper way that you array the foot soldier to make maximum effect of your archers. <laughs> but when the Amalekites attacked, they weren't attacking the trained armies of Egypt. They were attacking the butchers and the bakers and the clay brick makers of Israel. We were not capable of a strong defense. We were not a disciplined people. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure what I could manage. All I knew is if God didn't do something and we lost this battle, it is very likely that we would be enslaved and captured once again by another nation, not Egypt, but we would now be slaves to the Amalekite. And then I heard that still small voice again, the voice of God, 
the very God who longed for me to see him as my father. And he said to me, I am with you. And by evening, because God was with us, because God lent his strength unto us, we overcame the Amalekite and we won the battle. Oh, and before I forget, I don't want to forget to share with you what happened at the Passover. (laughs) I need to tell you about Passover because many people, when they think about the Passover, they're fascinated about the plagues. The plagues. Everybody thinks about the plagues. They think about the death that was going on. and They think about what the people had to eat. I admit I did as well for some time whenever I would think about the Passover. Those are the things I concentrated on, but I was learning. You see, God told us to prepare food and to do so in a great hurry. God told us that he was sending plagues, and God told us that the last plague he would be sending would be the angel of death. Oh, and God told us that we should kill, we should slay a perfect lamb, and that we should drain that lamb's blood, and that we should take that blood, and we should paint our doors. We should paint the doors with the blood of a lamb. God said if the blood of the lamb was upon the door, anyone behind that door, anyone behind that door would not know death. And boy, did we get busy. Busy fixing food, making sure that we were ready to go, uh, fixing food and and talking about everything that God had done to, to try to convince Pharaoh to let us go. And it pains my heart to tell you that some people were so busy working to get ready that some people were so busy rehearsing what they were going to be eating that they failed to ensure that the blood of the lamb was on their door. So when death came, for all of their work, for all of their works, for all of their busyness, and for all of making sure that their food was right, without the blood of the lamb, they did not stand a chance before the angel of death. When we heard our neighbors screaming in agony, they were screaming in agony and pain because someone in their household had died. We knew something had gone wrong, but something just didn't seem quite right. I wanted to run out and rescue them, but it just didn't seem right for me to do. I was learning that God was a father that could be trusted, but why was this bad thing happening to people that I knew were good people? Then it occurred to me that they did not have the lamb's blood upon their door. I worried about how much blood I had put on my door. Did I have enough blood on the door of my place? Would it be enough for the angel of death to pass over the place I was staying in? And despair and fear began to grip my heart, and I I was honestly sore afraid. But then I heard it again, a still, small voice saying to me, I am with you. So leaving Egypt was a bittersweet time for us. We were rejoicing for the people who were now free at last, but we were sad because many people lost their lives. 
So I was several days in the desert with the children of Israel when the final demonstration from God would occur that would finally ultimately win my trust. God would win the trust of my heart and afterward I would always see God as truly my heavenly father. I would see God as the father that he wanted to be to me. You see, we were at Sinai and God whispered to me that he had a law. And I thought to myself, okay, that sounds like a father. He's laying down the rules of the house, right? God carved out of the rock of Sinai tables of stone. And into those tables with his very finger, God started writing rules he desired for us to obey. And I have to say, I was kind of liking the first four. The first four looked like something that was pretty easy to, to keep. Oh yeah, we can do that. Not a problem. But he kept going after four. You got to five, and five started looking pretty difficult to me. And, and then he got to six. The sixth commandment. I was very worried about that sixth commandment. God wrote with his finger, you should not murder. When God wrote that, I thought he just might be referring to me. I thought he was talking about me. I thought he was writing about me on his law. But God said nothing to me at that point. And so I relaxed a little bit, thinking maybe God didn't notice when I murdered that Egyptian. Maybe God might have noticed, and perhaps he has just forgotten. When God had finished engraving his law on that stone, I hurried down from Sinai and I showed it to the people of Israel. And we read the law together. We agreed it was good. And we agreed to keep the law. And we endeavored to keep it, or at least in my case, not break any more of it than we had already done in the past. And on one particular trip up Mount Sinai to visit with God, he told me that the people had done a terrible thing. And so I rushed down from the mountain to see what was happening. And when I got near to the camp of Israel, I saw that the people were in fact doing a horrible thing. They had made a golden statue of a calf and they were dancing around it, celebrating being set free from Egypt. <laughs> they were honoring this golden statue as if it were God. They honored the statue as if it had delivered them from Egypt. I got angry. I was so filled with wrath. I was livid with frustration. I felt that same wrath that I felt that day when I had that Egyptian's neck in my hands and I was squeezing on his throat. I was angry. I was just thinking not long ago how easy it would be to keep these first four and now look. 
in outrage. I lifted the commandments over my head, those two tables of stone, and with all of my might, I flung them as hard as I could in frustration. And then they flew down the base of the mountain and they smashed on the rock below and there they were broken. I broke God's law. I don't think you get it. I broke God's law. Not just those tablets of stone, but very clearly the sixth commandment. I did that. It was me. God said very clearly, you should not murder. I was guilty before this very God who I had met by the fire on Mount Horeb. I was guilty before this God who was longing to be my father. I was guilty. I did that. I broke the commandments. And there it was again. Amazingly, there it was again. That still, small voice whispered in my ear, I am with you. And so hiding my guilt and fear from God, I shouted, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me, come to me. I knew once again that I was in familiar territory. Just like my earthly fathers now, God could choose to abandon me or he could just outright kill me on the spot. I wasn't sure what he would do. I hoped he would find a way to forgive me and make me new. People came to me in response to my call, but deep inside, my heart was broken. I was a broken man. There was no room left inside me for pride. I was Moses, the one who had learned to trust God almost like a father, but I was still holding back. You see, I knew that I was still Moses the murderer. How could I ever truly be Moses the son of God? I was still Moses the one who couldn't fully trust. And really, I was Moses the one who shouldn't be trusted. I needed to be restored. I wish that I could just be reborn and have another chance at life. So feeling somewhat lost between being a murderer and having my cr pride crushed, days later I would go into Mount Sinai again and I would visit with God. And there I finally met him. I finally met him. Not only did I meet my father there, I got to see him as well. He showed himself, he revealed himself completely to me, Moses the murderer. He was no longer a God who just spoke from a fire. You may have heard the story about how God caused me to see his glory, but that isn't what convinced me that he was my father. What convinced me that he was my father is that he let me, the sinner, see his glory. 
And it wasn't just that he protected me in the palm of his hand. He protected me knowing that I was a murderer. He protected me knowing that I had broken his law, yet he still protected me. And in the midst of my guilt, in the midst of my shame, in the midst of knowing that I am a sinner, I hear this voice from God and he said to me, I am with you. So you see, regardless of all God knew about me, God was still with me. He never abandoned me. <laughs> and then he did something marvelous. Into my hands, he placed a restored copy of his law, demonstrating that he is a father that makes all things new. Even murderers like me can be remade. God restored his law, not just in tables of stone carved from the earth, but he restored his law inside of me. Because of my heavenly father, I was no longer Moses the murderer. Because of what God has done, I could now be called Moses, child of God. He restored me only as a true father could. And in me, as he restored me, he restored his own law. And so today, be encouraged in your walk with God. He forever longs to be a father unto you. He will never abandon you, nor will he ever forsake you. And he longs today, even now, to be called your father so much that he sent his son to demonstrate it to you.